Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host, yeah, just me again, <laughs> Chris Honholtz, joining you on this August 21st, 2021. I would love to say it's me and Rich. Unfortunately, Rich could not be here again this week. Um, uh, just, you know, health issues always have the you know, a wonderful timing, don't they? <laughs> they, they always want to rear up when we least expect them and there's just some things that you know rich and his family have to work through and and we're grateful when we can always have him with us because i certainly enjoy doing this far more with him than i than i do by myself but uh when those things can't happen and timing doesn't allow us to uh to to reschedule it then uh, it's either a choice by to give you a rerun or to uh to do a solo or occasionally, like when Andrew was kind enough to jump uh, jump in at the last moment, uh, we'll do one with a with a special guest. Hopefully, in the future, if something like this happens again, I can be better prepared <laughs> and have somebody to, else to join me. But I am grateful to have you guys with me this week. Um, Going to be a kind of a mixture of topics, some things that I've just been thinking about. The the program we have on tap that Rich and I were going to do. I think we're going to push that back to next week, although I will give you a little bit of a tease as we go through it tonight. Hopefully you'll find that topic interesting. Uh, but like I said, going to be kind of just a, a potpourri of topics, so to speak, just some things that are on my mind, things that I've been watching going on in the news and in the world around us, and maybe uh, at the end bring a little bit of uh, biblical thought into how we deal with these difficult times. And I know we did do that topic a little bit last week, but something else that's come to my mind, and as I've gone through my studies, I wanted to share with you all. I want to remind you that Voice of Reason Radio is part of the Christian Podcast community. As always, we highly recommend that you check out the Christian Podcast community. You will always find a podcast that's going to be informative and helpful and always a blessing in some capacity. I uh, also would like to remind you to please, please, please go check out the Slave to the King website. That is our kind of home base for all things Voice of Reason Radio. You can find our social media links, our Contact Us page. You can subscribe to updates to the website. You can uh, you know, find links to our Patreon. You can find links to the store that DoctrineAndLife.co has set up if you wish to get gear for the uh, to show your support for the Voice of Reason radio program. So would most definitely love to have you guys jo uh, jump on board and sign up for that, get those updates, and get yourself rolling with some gear. And uh, we are always appreciative to hear from you, by the way. If you ever have thoughts about the program, if you ever have things, concerns, questions, even uh, disagreements, we'd love to hear from you. Again, you can go to slavetothekeng.com and find us on there uh, for the contact page or you can just go straight to voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com you can always contact us we love to hear from folks we really do we'd actually love to hear suggestions okay if you if you're thinking of something like right now you, you can actually pause it and go shoot me an email at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com we would love to hear from you guys and hear what your thoughts are about the show and things that you would love to hear us talk about um, because we don't want to just keep you know, bringing show topics up if they're not applicable to you. We would love to hear something that will speak to your heart and to your mind as to far as how, how do you think about this? How do we work through that issue? Because that's what we always hope we're able to accomplish with this program. So please, please get in touch with us. Let us know something that you're interested in hearing about, and we'll do our best to try and talk to you, uh, talk about it on the show. So if you ever have suggestions about articles, um, videos whatever send them to us we'd love to hear from you 
I uh, can't guarantee that we can always get to everything. I mean, we've always said that we're not experts on a whole lot of things, so but we'll always try to do our best to to um, cover those topics if that's what you would like to hear about. So please, please check those out. Check out those links. Get signed up. Uh, so a few different things I'm hoping to talk about tonight. Don't have Rich with me, so I don't get to banter quite as much. Um, but a uh, few things on my mind, and so I thought I'd share these with you and, and let you, the listeners, well, it might be a scary trip. I mean, let you in on my brain a little bit, but <laughs> I thought I'd sh- share through these and, and maybe talk about uh, them from my perspective and, and try to bring a biblical perspective to these things. Obviously, if you are, unless you are living in kind of the middle of nowhere and you're not paying attention to the news at all, obviously the big news right now is what's going on in Afghanistan and uh, the withdrawal of U.S. troops and then the reasserting of U.S. troop presence inside uh, at least the airport area of Kabul in Afghanistan. And basically, if you're not really sure of what exactly this is about, uh, and I understand that many of uh, our, our listeners are, are younger, they may not, they you know, nine, nine, uh, post 9-11 and other things, um, it's history in a lot of ways for us. But some of us have lived through these last 20 years and remember a lot of these things. So just a, by way of a quick, quick history, you know, September 11th, 2001, the World, Tw- uh, World Trade Centers attacked as terrorists seized control of aircraft. And by the way, if you're going to tell me that CIA agents flew military planes into the buildings and it wasn't aircraft and it was all a hoax, that's not an email I want to get. So <laughs> we're just not going to go down that road. Um, that being said, the Twin Towers were, of course, attacked and destroyed. Uh, the Pentagon was attacked and an aircraft was seized that was by many heroic individuals kept from being slammed into other buildings because they caught, uh, they fought back against the terrorists and drove that plane into the ground uh, in a field. Um, and again, this is over 20 years ago, 21 years ago now, almost when this happened. Excuse me, 20 years ago. Almost said, I don't know why I said 21. My apologies. See, Rich is not here, and I'm already off, uh, going off into left field. I'm getting things wrong. I need Rich here. So <laughs> that being said, um, following that, we had uh, George W. Bush declare war on terror, which is a very, very difficult thing to do because you declare war on people, not on methods of advancing perverse ideologies, in this case terrorism. So we went to war with a concept, we went to war with a methodology, but we tried to claim that we weren't going to war with a nation or a people or a people group. So we tried to redefine what warfare meant and went to war with a concept. Uh, A lot of people have a lot of uh, questions about whether that ever should have happened, and many of us have lived through all those years and have had friends and loved ones who went overseas who served. And by the way, if you're one of these individuals who uh, calls himself a Christian and wants to denigrate the service of men and women who have gone overseas to protect their home uh, in fighting in these wars, and you want to call them, uh, you know, evil names, let's just say that. And because you disagree with the uh, the war on terror, um, don't bother contacting me. Okay, I really don't want to hear from you because I've seen that in the last couple of weeks. I've seen some very despicable things said from Christians who uh, hold to a more libertarian view of things, and uh, basically said there there has not been a legal or a just war. Blah 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 blah. 
And so you denigrate and uh, dismiss and talk down to people who are soldiers who have served. If you're going to do that, I don't want to hear from you. Just don't even bother. There are many things I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to have conversations. But if you're going to denigrate people who have worn the uniform and fought in those wars, whether you agree with them or not, I have no interest in hearing from you. I just don't. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to apologize for that. So anyway, we went to uh, went to war in uh, many Middle Eastern nations, and one of which was Afghanistan. And we've been there for now tw uh, 20 years. During the Trump administration, uh, President Trump made it a point to start working on withdrawing from Afghanistan. And I think a lot of us were supportive of that idea because we had been there for 20 years and we had been trying to build up that nation and train its military and train its uh, or build up its government and, and make it a free nation. The problem is, and this is one thing that... Um, to an extent that I would agree with our current president on is it's not the the job of United States of America to to build up nations. Our job is to take care of our people and to protect our people and to um, make the freedoms and the benefit of people living here our main concern. So when you're dealing with a nation who has been fighting not only its own civil wars and, and uh, ideological and religious wars for generations, there's a point where you have to say, we have to be able to leave, we have to be able to back out, and we have to be able to take care of our own. So a lot of people agreed with President Trump on that, and I, is, I am one of them. However, what happened between what President Trump did and by the time President Biden took office and now the present debacle that we are seeing in Afghanistan, and it is a debacle, is uh, 180 degrees different from just polar opposites between the two presidents. After we did our mass withdrawal and left a complete mess behind, um, President Biden came out and made his case. And I, I would say that President Biden's speechwriter was a very good speechwriter. Um, I absolutely disagree with some of the premises, but it was a very good speech as far as the case he laid out. The problem is it was had glaring gaps. One of the things is that uh, President Biden had stated that he was basically saddled with this agreement from President Trump from the previous administration. The problem is, is that President Trump's plan and his advisors and all the things that were done in Afghanistan and I understand where some people say you don't negotiate with the Taliban. Dan Bongino on his radio program was just talking about that the other day. Why on earth do you negotiate with a terror group like the Taliban? And I understand his point. I don't disagree with it. Unfortunately, the issue is, is the Taliban's presence wasn't going away. So they ha we had to figure out how we were going to do this. But in President, President Trump's defense, what his team had done and what he had brokered had a lot of benchmarks that the Taliban had to meet before we actually pulled out. And uh, former Secretary of Defense, I think it was uh, Pompeo, was on Fox News being interviewed about that. And he said that there were certain benchmarks that the Taliban had to meet before we withdrew. And they knew that if they didn't meet those benchmarks, that the Trump administration would act accordingly. So all of that's left out. All of that information is completely left out by President Biden. And he puts out this May deadline that uh, says, well, we had to do this or we were going to be committed to uh, 
fighting another 20 years and I wasn't going to saddle another presidency or another administration with 20 or 40 or you know 100 years of warfare. So absolutely ignoring all of that, absolutely leaving that out, that's called a lie of omission. Okay, a lie of omission is still a lie. When you omit information, you are, you are not being truthful. And that's what President Biden did. He was not truthful. So what happens? We pull out. Uh, a, a massive uh, presence of uh, the Taliban is advancing faster and faster and faster. And rather than respond, rather than hold the Taliban to their benchmarks, rather than listen to some of his advisors who said, do not do what you're doing, do not yank us out of there that quickly, uh, President Biden pulled us out. And he's literally trying to secure, just just let, let me get my men out before you take over the nation. So as opposed to the previous administration, which said there will be consequences if you don't hold to these benchmarks, we basically had our president tuck tail and run and leave thousands of, and thousands of American citizens, untold number of Afghan citizens who were our allies in the lurch, left behind American equipment that had been supplied to the Afghan uh, security forces and to the government of Afghanistan, and we just left it. We just tucked tailed and ran. And so what happens? Chaos ensues. Massive numbers of people now in enemy-controlled territory. Our president now has said repeatedly, we didn't know they were going to move that fast. We didn't know this was going to be how quick Kabul would fall. And yet, more and more information comes out that all of that is untrue. We did know. We did know what the projections were. We did know what could happen if we pulled out in the manner that we did. So what do we have? We have somewhere between 10 to 15,000 American citizens in uh, Taliban-controlled territory. We have no troops uh, protecting those individuals as they try to get from their homes to the airport to get evacuated. We have our soldiers, even though we've plussed them up by considerable numbers inside the airport, <clears throat> being told, you can't go outside. You can't, help, you can't go get these people. You can't protect them. And you, you have, by the way, have to do the processing of all these visa applications. You are the one who has to, you know, get these people on the plane. So the military saddled with this, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Afghan citizens, along with Americans trying to get out, have been, you know, just basically pushed to the walls of this airport trying to get in. In the meantime, you've got the, uh, we have confirmed reports now. Our own State Department has said this, confirmed reports of Taliban fighters assaulting, hurting, and, and, and preventing people from getting to the airport. All the things they said they would do, would not do, that, do, that they are doing. So the worthless promises made, big shock, worthless promises. And what what is our administration doing? Almost nothing, absolutely nothing. Why am I bringing this up? Why am I bringing up political issues on a Christian program? Well, I think it's important to realize we have American leaders who have either gone on vacation back to Delaware, President Biden, or on some sort of trip to Southeast Asia, Vice President Kamala Harris. While we have our people overseas and who cannot leave, who cannot get back to their homes, who cannot get out of enemy-controlled Afghanistan. 
around the world, our leaders have been mocked by other world powers, condemned, and our position in the world is considerably weakened. So again, why am I bringing this up? Well, I believe it was John Calvin who said, when God wishes to punish a nation, he gives it wicked rulers. That's what we're seeing right now. We are in the midst of a period and time when our nation has an evil administration, a regime, as some have called it, running the nation. And since he has taken office and since his administration, and honestly, I don't even think the man himself is really doing anything. The more you watch him on the air, the more clear it has become he is absolutely either clueless or mentally incapacitated because he's giving answers that are inconsistent with information that's being given. And when people question him, he gets extremely irate. He will not take questions most of the time. He walks away from the podium. Um, and he his own fawning media no longer softballs questions at him. That tells you something's wrong. Kamala Harris, who has proudly stated she was part of the plan to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan, is now basically on the run to Southeast Asia. How much more evil do you get than abandoning your people behind enemy lines and let me go on vacation and let me go on a trip to Southeast Asia, which has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on. And as I said, since they, that administration has taken office, what have we focused on? Have we really focused on what is necessary to protect uh, you know, people's lives, to properly withdraw from a nation so that we could continue to you know, bring our armed force, forces home without compromising our allies? What, what have we focused on? Oh, let's make sure more, more masks are being given to people. Let's make sure that people are being forced to either be tested or uh, you know, given the vaccine it, over and above their own objections for their own medical reasons. Um, oh, let, let's concentrate on making the military uh, trans-friendly. Let's, let's concentrate, oh, uh, General Willie, what, what was it he said? Oh, I need to understand white rage. No, you, sir, you need to make sure the armed forces are prepared to engage in warfare. You don't need to worry about this nonsensical concept of white rage. Um, so we've got all of this going on. A massive emphasis on social justice, a massive emphasis on trans rights, a massive overreaching effort to so-called so defend the nation against a virus that has a 99.9% recovery rate. Um, but not one ounce of effort to protect the people in Afghanistan. So when God gives a nation, when God wants to punish a nation, he gives it wicked rulers. And that's what we are dealing with right now. We are under the regime of wicked individuals. That is what we're watching happen. That is what is going on. And the sad part, the truly sad part, is when you take any amount of time to follow these stories as they come up uh, in the media and you look at them on social media and stuff, there's always that group of people that wants to defend this administration. So he goes on vacation to Delaware. The people are pointing, the media is pointing this out. And what are people saying? Oh, what? You can't work from home. You can't work from, a, 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 from home. You can't do, uh, you know, um, distance, you know, work type stuff. You know, what's wrong with that? 
not even recognizing that this is such a, a dire situation that the last thing anybody should be doing is going on vacation. You have people that are are absolutely, um, how can I put this, who are absolutely nonplussed, who just don't even recognize the problem that's been created, and all they see is, well, we needed to get out of there. And it's it's uh, if Biden says it's Trump's fault and the Afghan military's fault, well, then that's good enough for me. Well, how do you get there? How how can you you look at something as plain and as obvious as what is happening in on the world stage right now with this nation how can you possibly look at that and go yeah that's i, I support that i think that's great well I, I think the answer is quite simple and we've talked about this before um we are a nation given over to a depraved mind i mean think about this let's go back to romans chapter one where um paul writes starting in verse 24 Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the cre creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. As a nation, how much more evidence do we need that we are a nation at war with God? We have been rebe in rebellion against God for generations now. And what happens when you do that? Well, as, as Paul says, God gives you up to the lusts of your heart. And we see that, don't we? We see that with the massive emphasis on sexuality, on uh, LGBT, trans, the whole nine yards. This massive giving up to the lusts in our hearts. And so God gives us up. He gives us over to a depraved mind. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, And since they did not, did not see, to, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Three times. 24, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. God gives up these people. And this is the one. Gives them up to a debased mind to do that, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God they know God's excuse me, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We are a nation given over to a debased mind. You cannot see, you cannot look at the landscape with any kind of rational, logical worldview and think that what's happening is a good thing. We are a nation that cannot figure out which bathroom to use. We are a nation that believes that if we hide everybody in a bubble, we'll never get sick again. We are a people that believes parents who should, should never have any control over what their children learn in school. That is solely the department of the, uh, you know, the, the teachers. We are a people that says, um, you know, uh, violence and and racism and uh, you know and and 
uh, riots and all these things are horrible, but we support them when it's the right people doing it. So if, if you have the right um, ideology, Antifa, if you have the right color skin, BLM, if you have the right uh, oppressive uh, oppression points, you can do these things. We are a people that say, oh, the police are evil, defund them. But then we turn around and want private security to be hired in the tens of thousands of dollars so that we can continue to try to defund the police. Corey Bush, does anybody recognize that? We are a walking contradiction. We hate the family. We kill children in the womb. We... Uh, we deny the the beauty of monogamy. We deny the beauty of purity. We mock it. We dis, uh, we de uh, deny that it has any place in this world. We lift up depra depravity. We say that people should be able to engage in illicit sexual encounters left and right, and and anything but the 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 biblical model of one man and one woman in marriage in a lifelong lifelong real, uh, monogamous relationship called marriage that's the only thing we can't stand we can't stand anything that might appear to have a connection to God remember one of the things they're haters of God that was one of the things that happens when you're given over to a depraved mind well that's America we are given over to a depraved mind and we had so many people so many people today that voted for this man in office and today look what has happened and in just eight months we have had massive inflation we've had uh, a, a push to control the entire nation because you might get sick we have uh, we have retreated and left our allies and our own people behind enemy lines and we are doing nothing to protect them and we have people who support this that is a nation given over to a depraved mind now this is going to make my more theonomic friends a little bit anxious and they're not going to like what i'm have to say but this is a product of when you cannot you cannot win the issue through politics because this is a hard issue this is an issue where God has given this nation over to depravity for the very sake of bringing his judgment upon it now I know a lot of you're going Chris that's not very hopeful why would why why would we want to you know look at it that way that that certainly seems like it's fatalistic it's realistic it's biblical it's what we're seeing happen we have a heart issue we have a massive heart problem and I'm not talking about cholesterol I'm not talking about myocarditis if you if you you get if you have certain vaccine given to you I'm talking about a spiritual heart condition I'm talking about the fact that we are a nation at war with God and we have turned our backs on him and our rebellion to him now there's only one solution to that and that is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you cannot change sin hardened hearts through politics sir sure you can get the right people in the office and maybe you can get the uh, you know for a generation you might get right laws passed but as we have seen time and time again sin hardened rebels don't care they don't care about freedom they don't care about liberty and by the way this is in no way contradictory to what I said just a couple of shows ago about the defense of liberty I think we need to defend liberty but we need to rightly understand where we are where we are right now is we are at war with a rebellious people who hate God hate his word and will do everything in their power to uh, to reject him and 
oppress and oppose him, oppress those who follow him and oppose him. So that's what we're facing. We are at war with a world that hates God. And the only way you can overcome that is by the power of God, the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit uh, convicting people's hearts of sins, regenerating them and bring them in the right relationship with God so that they will repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ and become new creations. That's when the heart changes. That's when the mind changes. That's when the affections change because we are now a new creation and we have a new master. We're no longer enslaved to the things of this world. So when we look at what's going on and we are incensed and we are angry by the president's actions, absolutely we should be. We also need to recognize this is God's judgment on a wicked nation and it should drive us to our knees. It should cause us to weep that God has judged this nation because there was a time when this nation produced some of the most prolific uh, Christians in the world, we were, you know, we create, we sent out people as missionaries. We created schools, we created ch charities and hospitals and churches, all in the name of Christ. And today, we want to shut those churches down. We want to stifle anything that uh, comes out of the church. We want to shove it into a corner, and we want it to have nothing to say with the world at large. How dare you mention Christ? How dare you bring your religion into this? Well, that's what we must do. We it's not a, a question of should we or could we. We must. We must preach the gospel. So when you turn on the evening news, and you're doing like I'm doing, and you're pulling what little hair out of your head that you have out because you are so angry with what is going on, and we are so incensed with what this president is doing. Recognize this is God giving this nation over. This is God judging this nation. And he is calling upon us to get involved in the battle. We need to be involved in the battle for souls because that's the only thing that saves a wicked heart. So I just that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. And believe me, I am incensed like a lot of you about what's going on. There was another thing I wanted to talk about, and I said this on uh, Twitter and Facebook earlier today. I, I was, a, you know, just eh, a few months ago now. I gosh, it's been it's gone so quickly now. There was just a few months ago we did a a program where we talked about what was going on, um, or how how we got to this situation where we have, um, President Joe Biden in office, and how there were some within the evangelical elite, I guess we can call them, the big big Eva, who were part and parcel with basically stumping for him. And if not stumping for him, certainly stumping to have President Trump removed from office. Now, as I said earlier, President Trump actually had a plan for this withdrawal, and we would not probably, it's not to say there wouldn't been, have been any mess, because nothing is done perfectly. And certainly President Trump was no saint in terms of getting things done properly and right in every single occasion. But he did listen to his advisors, and he did uh, take uh, the input of people who were smarter than him on certain areas. So we did that episode talking about those evangelicals who laid the foundation for Christians to depart voting for that for Trump because well we want to retain our witness. We want to we want to still have political capital with the uh, with the world. We don't want to be guilty of voting for someone who has such a terrible uh, track record with regard to his um, 
his character and his his past um, sins. We'll just call them sins. That's what they were. <clears throat> so we wanted to make room at the table. That's what we were talking about. That's what a lot of people said. And so <clears throat> I'll, I'll link that. Excuse me. A little bit of dry throat. See, I'm not used to talking so much on my own. And so now my throat's going dry a little fast. Um, Rich, I need you here, buddy. So we did that episode. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll, I'll track that one down and throw that in there. But we heard, I mean, up into that, that 2020 election, we heard from evangelicals left and right. You had people like uh, J.D. Greer. You had people like John Piper. You had people from Nine Marks and then Gospel Coalition and everywhere else talking about making room at the table for people who couldn't, you know, just couldn't vote for Trump. So they want, you know, they wanted to be able to vote for Biden. Biden, by the way, who promised to, uh, to push through the, um, uh, what's the act, the, um, oh my goodness, the word went right out of my mind, but who wanted to be able to put in to law, uh, the basically you, you know, all the codifying everything that would be considered hate speech against the, you know, LGBT and all of this stuff, the, the Equality Act, thank you, my brain finally kicked in, who wanted to push through the Equality Act, which I'm rather shocked it has not been done yet, but bits and pieces of it keep coming through, it seems, um, who promised to expand abortion care, in fact, abortion care, really pr- murder of children in utero, who said that that's what he was going to do. In fact, he was going to codify in fe- a federal law abortion so that a, a reversal of Roe v. Wade couldn't take it away. A man who promised to do these things. This, but we needed to make ta- a room at the table for people to be able to vote for him. Since, well, since Trump was just so mean. Well, I, I, I posted something today. I'll read this real quick to you, and I want, I want you to give it some thought. So, and it's a series of questions that I asked. I said, so where are all the e- the elite evangelicals who told us, told us, excuse me, uh, we should make room for Christians who wanted to vote for Biden? who courted the culture by unilaterally condemning Trump at every turn, who valued the appearance of politeness over mean tweets. Where are they while Americans are trapped in Afghanistan as Biden and Harris take trips elsewhere, ignoring their plight? Where are they to condemn Biden for abandoning our allies, leaving Christians trapped under a terrorist regime, allowing women and children to be harmed, molested, and raped? Where are they right now? Are they silent because they don't think it's a big deal? Do they not want uh, believe that this is a matter that warrants their voice or their platform? Or is it because they know that they have to admit they were wrong? That would that it would cost them uh, that it would cost them in the eyes of culture. They'd lose their political capital. Where where are they when real oppression t- is taking place? Or is it is that only reserved for when speaking of oppression gains them a seat at the table of the intelligentsia? Isn't speaking against such flagrant sin an opportunity to advance our witness? Or is it that, uh, or is it that the only time they speak out is when it gains them a spotlight from which to shine their virtue? The truth is the evangelical elite don't seem to care about anything other than that which gains them favor. And speaking out against real evil right now wouldn't gain them a single thing. They'd have to humble themselves, confess their error and their sin, and call people to fight against genuine evil and oppression. They might just have to lose favor with the world in order to bring glory and honor to God's name through the proclaiming of the truth.
It is high past time we call such persons to account for their self-honor and glorification. Time to tear down the spotlights and pedestals they have been placed on. Time to return to the preaching of the of the truth and calling out the the false. It is time for Big Eva to fall. Now that's I know that some people might look at that and say, "Wow, that sounds a little bit on the harsh side, or that seems uh, awfully condemnatory." You don't know their hearts, and you know maybe they really thought that this was the right thing to do, and you don't know why they're being quiet, etc. You're right. I don't know the specific reason that if I went to John Piper and asked him, "Why aren't you speaking out?" You certainly were loud enough during the election, uh, or if I brought up gospel coalition or nine marks or any of the others and started pointing out all the things they said in the 2020 uh, election run-up and then i asked them specifically uh what is your reason for being silent now i i can't anticipate that question i really can't or what their specific answers would be let me say that correctly i can't know exactly how they're going to phrase it and the reason i can't know is because they have not answered they have not stepped up they were very vocal absolutely massively vocal in the lead up to the 2020 election. I think the only person right now I've seen continue to be vocal is Beth Moore, and she's just choosing to deal with uh, how well COVID shouldn't be politicized. By the way, it's awfully funny that, uh, I just got to say this, it's awfully funny that if you say masks or shots or uh, passport, vaccine passports and stuff, that shouldn't be the government's role to mandate those. You're considered politicizing the issue. But if you want the government to take control of people's lives and tell them how to live because others might get sick, that's somehow not politicizing. Um, Let me just say you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror if you believe that. If you think you are not being political when you say government needs to mandate, um, right, I think you don't understand what politicizing something means. Uh, Some of us don't want the government or politics involved in this. We want people to have freedom to choose their best course of action, and we don't want the government involved, and we're being told we're the political ones. Go figure. All right, so getting back to this. um, So we've got this issue where, for a long time, a great many high-profile, excuse me, I can't talk all of a sudden, high-profile evangelicals, were heavily involved in the political arena. One of the uh, chief uh, architects of that would be Russell Moore, who used to be part of the ERLC, and then when the uh, upcoming SBC election was maybe not going the way he wanted, suddenly he found a lucrative job elsewhere. But he was uh, as solidly never Trump and continued to be solidly never Trump from the 2016 election all the way through 2020. And spoke vociferously against him, spoke uh, very strongly against anything the Trump administration did. And you had a great many high-profile evangelicals who did much the same. And that's important because for a group of people who said that we shouldn't risk our political capital, for a group of people who say that we are damaging our witness, um, they were very, very vocal about getting their involvement in politics and what they had to say about it. And yet, since the 2020 election and since Biden has taken office and as each week has gone by and it has become more and more clear that Biden did everything he said he was going to do, these voices have suddenly gotten very, very quiet. And I believe there's a reason for that. And I believe it's because when you court the world, when you try to actually obtain political capital, 
when you try to say um, we need the culture to be up uh, to see that we care and that we uh, we see their concerns and their frustrations and their and their issues and we need to embrace these ideologies so that the church doesn't wither and die so the church remains relevant when you have these things occurring and then you turn around and you uh, the very ha- uh, the very beast that you fed begins to devour you you have to make one of two choices you either have to stand up and say we were wrong we should not have been engaged in supporting this individual or you have to remain quiet see if you if you stand up and you oppose the individual and you say that this that our supporting him or f- our refusal to put any kind of stopgap to keep him from coming into office was wrong well you there's a there's a mindset that says we lose political capital it's kind of like a parent who mistreats his child accuses that child of the wrongdoing and then when the child is finally able to break through the stubbornness of the parent and says, no, you're wrong. Here's what I did. Here's the evidence. The parent, rather than saying, I was wrong and I am terribly sorry and I hope you can forgive me. The parent doubles down. And and what did some of us hear? Well, that's just in case for the next time. Or that's for, for when you did something and I didn't catch it, right? When the parent who says we don't lie, we don't steal, we don't uh, uh, hit people, we don't... Uh, we, we don't um, speak uh, disrespectfully and then turn around and does it time and again in front of the child and then says, well, do as I say, not as I do. That's That parent says, if I apologize before my to my child, if I acknowledge my wrongdoing, then I lose my authority. Then I'm no longer the parent. I actually prove to my child that I'm weak, that I'm uh, I'm not in control. That's what that parent is doing. That's what we have with the evangelical elite. We have uh, elitists within the uh, evangelical machine who cannot bring themselves to admit that they said or did something wrong in this in this last election. They will not acknowledge it, and that's I believe why they're being silent. Because to speak up now, to speak up and say this president is doing evil in the sight of God by leaving people to be hurt and killed by abandoning allies and doing all these things. If they were to speak up, then there's most assuredly a great many of us would speak back at them and say, excuse me, were you not the individual that said it was okay to vote for this man? In fact, we've done that on occasion because there were individuals who supported Biden and and as soon as he came out in uh, you know promoting the you know the trans rights and everything else and, and pushing for uh, transgenders to go back into uh, bathrooms and, and certain places how dare he I can't believe he's doing this and everybody went yeah we told you that was going to happen and you didn't listen I think they don't want to come out and speak because they don't if they speak up now many people will call them on the carpet for it and they can't bring themselves to admit and say you're right. We never should have supported him. You're right. We shouldn't have laid the foundation for this president to be elected. We were wrong. 
Because if they do that, what happens? Well, if we speak against the president, first of all, the people we've courted, the, the intelligentsia of the, the leftist world, the people who desperately want this kind of uh, Marxist control, all these people that we've been courting for so many years, well, they'll see us as having betrayed them. They'll see us as uh, as as knuckle dragging Cro Magnon, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, brain dead cavemen. You know, we're gonna lose something if we if we speak up and say that what he's doing is wrong. If we start voicing our concerns about religious liberty, if we voice our concerns about what he's promoting in this nation, if we vo voice our concerns about government overreach, and heaven help us, if we voice our concern and say, you're abandoning Christians to Muslim extremists in Afghanistan because you are too cowardly to go and rescue the Americans who are still trapped. You are too cowardly to protect your allies. Uh, they will lose political capital with these individuals. And then they have to admit to us they were wrong. And I don't think they want to do that. I think it is that arrogance that says, I cannot come back and say I was wrong. I cannot admit that what we uh, did here was wrong. And so this is why I say when it comes to the issue of the evangelical elite, the high-profile evangelicals, this needs to die. It needs to die a miserable death. It needs to be swift, it needs to be quick, and we need to put it to death. Because we have individuals who have had so much sway over the Christian church for decades upon decades. And initially, many times, we thought it was great. Look at these guys who are sound in their doctrine, and they they have these high positions, and, and they can influence the culture in the right direction. And then they turn around and stabbed us right in the back. Remember when the Gospel Coalition was something we thought was kind of neat? Hey, here's this, uh, this entity that has been created to, to promote the Gospel. And then we watched them compromise the Gospel at every turn. And then, then they started exegeting movies. And then they started taking on leftist positions. And now <laughs> they've just become as bad as Christianity today once, uh, you, know, they, they're, you know, Christianity astray, I think, as, as uh, Todd Friel calls it. They, have no, they see no value in the gospel. And they've compromised on theological positions repeatedly. We, we've seen this with Nine Marks. Nine Marks was considered a fantastic resource because it talked about the the, the importance, uh, you know, marks of a church and had all these great resources and materials. And then they went woke. You know, we, we watched Mark Dever, you know, over and over again, cater to leftists in Washington when it came to the issue of woke apologetics and theology. And we watched that same organization take pot shot after pot shot at John MacArthur and his church as they stood against government overreach and said, no, you will not tell the church that it cannot meet because you have no authority to do so. And they denigrated them. They you know, said, you're spending your political capital on the wrong thing. And then when it came to them, what did they do? Well, they sued and they won hypocrisy much and you know we used to think these were great things that these ministries and these high profile names were so awesome and so wonderful and yet we lifted them up on a pedestal and we didn't think about what what is the consequence of lifting such people up are we really certain that because their theology sounds right or their intent is good 
that maybe this is the right thing to do. You know, we, I, we did we did we do with them what we should be doing with uh, the marks of an elder, the the requirements as seen in First uh, Timothy chapter three, when Paul writes to Timothy saying, "Therefore, an overseer must be." above reproach. How many of these high-profile evangelicals can we say are above reproach these days? That they have to be the husband of one mind, oh, excuse me, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled. How much control do you have when you jump to every leftist agenda, Russell Moore? How much self-control do you show? Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, they wanted to argue with uh, with Christians at every turn and tell them, as in the case of with John MacArthur, don't spend your political capital on this useless concept. Not lovers of money. Hmm. How many of these uh, organizations have drawn upon themselves? How many hundreds and thousands of thousands of dollars upon themselves? They have to manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And it goes on from there. We Did we examine them to see if they were above reproach? We certainly thought their theology was sound. We saw the things that they taught. But did we simply become enamored with their celebrity because it sounded good? How many high-profile evangelicals fell? People like Tully and Chivijan. You know, people like... Uh, oh, some of them escaped me, and I, I apologize. But we've seen some of those names... Uh, uh, Matt Chandler, here's another one. Maybe not fell from grace, but has... He, we all applauded how awesome he was when he stood in... in uh, in Stephen Furtick's church and told the people, you're not David. And then turned around and watched this man again and again embrace woke uh, theology. And there were warning signs of that if anybody had been going to his church and had been watching what he was saying, say about police and police shootings. Because all you have to do is go online and find the article written by a, fam a family who went to that church and all the things that they went through. But we didn't examine them. We didn't examine them to see if they were above reproach and self-controlled, if they were lovers of money. We saw the theology, and we saw the positions they held, and we thought it was a good thing. And now we've watched as Mark Dever sits in the uh, 2019 Shepherds Conference and plays fast and loose with Phil Johnson during a Q&A trying to not answer his questions and then turn around and say, oh, well, but we have to be concerned about the people who say that these things are happening to them. I don't want to say this, that we're, that we're, we're all to blame. But what I want to say is that we have, want, we have helped prop up this high-profile evangelical celebrity mindset. We are all guilty of it in some capacity. Remember, our first and foremost place of service is the local church. In fact, I, I, I felt convicted about that myself. And I went to my pastor and I said, I, I do a podcast and it's, it's, you guys have been so uh, wonderful to allow me to be part of that, but that's not serving my body. I need to be doing something here. 
And I'm not looking to be placed in a position of teaching. I'm not looking to be placed uh, in anywhere where I can be heard. I'm like, I don't care if I'm cleaning up the garbage. I want to serve. Because that's where our focus should be. It should be serving our local body. And that was a conviction for me because I began to realize I wasn't doing that. Not in the way that I ought to. And so that's where I stepped in, you know, stepped up and said, Okay, Lord, you're convicting me. I need to repent in this area. Let's let you know, you put me where you want me. And that's what we should be doing. We should be looking to serve in our local churches and using our our abilities and our our our, uh, our giftings in that church. But so often, we have chased after the celebrity. We have chased after the those high profile ministries. And now today, so many of those have gone silent. When God is giving over this nation to wicked rulers, they've gone silent. Do we need any greater evidence that the concept of the high-profile evangelical, the big Eva celebrity, and the big evangelical machine needs to die? When at a time it is clear, when we, when we could actually be having a John the Baptist moment for the churches to say to the leaders of this nation, you are in sin, repent. They are silent. They are not leading the way because it would cost them political capital. So we as Christians, we need to help put this to death. We need to step up and say, no longer will these individuals speak for us. No longer will we support such betrayal of the gospel. We don't want to hear what you have to say. We want you to repent and we want you to get bright with Christ and we want you to lead your local congregations and serve in your local congregations and get off the stage because you don't belong there. That was never for you to be there. So I think that needs to happen. I really, really do think that needs to happen because they have been silent, because they have spent so much time soaking up the limelight, soaking up the... Uh, influence of the world so that they could have a voice at the and a place at the table and i think it's time that we deny them that but that means effort on our part that means being faithful to the word of god on our part and serving and ignoring what they have to say and going out and doing the work that we are called to do no longer giving it over to the parachurch ministry no longer giving over to the high profile evangelical and pointing people to that but rather we as the body serving christ proclaiming the gospel building up our our brethren in the church we need to be doing that we need to be equipping them not turning it over to the high profile evangelical that is that's, that absolutely needs to start happening because we are they are not higher than us they are not better than us they are not more spiritual than us they are if if they are in Christ they are equal with us and as uh, John MacArthur at the Shepherds Conference in 2019 said about pastors hey guess what you are a third sub-level galley slave in other words you're the guy on the lowest part of the boat chained to the boat uh, you know in, inside who's rowing that's your job it's not glamorous it's you are you are just a third level galley slave and that's how we should see ourselves none of us are the captain of the ship that's christ we are simply his servants we should simply be satisfied to do our duty and that's what these individuals should be doing. They are not better than us. They are not higher than us. They are not more spiritual than us. They should be down on the third row of the galley 
rowing the ship with the rest of us. And if we continue to elevate them, then they will continue to abuse that spotlight. And I think it needs to stop and it needs to stop now. Okay, one last thing, and I was sharing this with a brother of mine. Um, all of us are going through difficulties, and if if you're facing difficulties right now, and you're having a hard time trying, where do I find joy? I encourage you to go back to last week's program, because I believe that as you work through the book of Hebrews, you begin to see that there is a promise of eternity, an eternal city that we are to focus our eyes on because there is no promise in this life that it gets easy. In fact, it's supposed to get a lot harder as a Christian. But how do you keep that joy? I encourage you, go back and listen to Rich and I from last week as we talked about that. But the, as I began my study in James this week, there's that you know that second uh, you know verse that just is kind of the the shot right out of the gate out of the first uh, chapter one, and James writes, "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet very meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy. Count it joy as you meet trials. How do you possibly count it as joy?" He says, "For you know that the testing of your faith." produces steadfastness as you are tested you are refined you are strengthened it, it's like the 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 sword as it's dipped into the fires and it's burned and it's heated and it's pounded and what does it do it beats that you know that piece of metal and shapes it and strengthens it it you become it you know makes the the weapon steadfast it makes it sure makes it strong able to withstand in that time and then he says let steadfastness excuse me let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing trials and suffering they they forge us they form us they make us stronger and then ultimately what does god do as he strengthens and makes you into that weapon for his use into that tool for his use you are made perfect and complete we'll not see that this side of eternity for sure but you will be lacking in nothing you are lacking in nothing now because he equips you every spiritual gift that you you, you have it's given to you now but he's forging you he's you know, putting you through the furnace. He's hammering you into shape. And he is making you into something fit for his use. Do you understand that? You are able to count it as joy. And this is something my pastor had to remind me. I love how he put it. He said, you can be beset by, and I'm paraphrasing him, so pastor, if you hear this, I apologize if I say it you know, off a little bit. But you can be beset by all kinds of trials and there can seem to be no way of escape. That there's just no deliverance. It's just not going to end. So why, how can I possibly have joy in that? Well, James 1 uh, verses 2 through 4. God is using that to refine you, to strengthen you. He's using it to change you. And make you more like Christ, so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's how you have joy, because you recognize God is doing something. He is forging you. He's strengthening you. He's bending you. He's shaping you. He's putting you back in the fire, and he's bringing you back out. He didn't, you know, dips that fiery metal into the oil as it hardens the steel. Painful to be sure. 
agonizing, may never see the end in this life. But He's shaping you and making you like Christ. That's how you have joy. You are grateful for the shaping. You are grateful for the pressure and the furnace because it's purging away all that is impure and strengthening that which God has made you to be. That's how you can have joy. You can be grateful to God for what He is doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when we talk about, as we were going those first couple of topics, think about we are living in a time, if you are in America, that you, our nation, excuse me, our nation is being turned over, has been turned over to a depraved mind, a debased mind. And we are led by wicked rulers. And we're going, how can we possibly have joy in this? Because God is using that. It is that trial, that suffering that he is using to forge you in the fire. Well, how can, how can we have joy when there's so much compromise within, within the evangelical church? Because God is forging and purifying his church. He's exposing the dross. He's exposing the impurities. And we look at them and we go, that is, not, you know, that is people who are not being forged by God. Rather, they are being exposed. They are being revealed for what they are. And we can rejoice because, because God is purifying his church. He is doing that work in his body to make it perfect and complete so we we rejoice in be uh, as as we are you know being shaped we rejoice and allow it to make us steadfast and sure and we know that the ultimate end is that we'll be made like Christ so that was where I, that's the hope I want to encourage you with that if you're in Christ this these times that we are enduring, these difficulties, these struggles, these sufferings, they are His work in our life to make us more like our Savior. That is where the hope is, and we can rejoice in that. doesn't make things less painful. Joy is not the same as walking around being happy slappy, okay? Everything's just great. No, we're not saying that. We recognize the painfulness. We recognize the difficulty. We recognize the hurt. But we also recognize in that that God is doing something and he's removing things from my life that cause me to cling tightly to this world rather to him. And then it makes me steadfast and sure, trusting in him, trusting in his work, doing the work he has given me to do so that I am perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that is where the joy is. So a little bit of potpourri topics tonight, but I hope this last part leaves you with a little bit of joy, a little bit of thoughtfulness about how, how can I have peace and joy knowing the very things that you just talked about in this program? That's how you know. You go back to the book of James and you recognize God is doing a work in you. So thank you for spending some time with me this week. I always hate to do it by myself. It always feels a little bit weird because uh, I feel like it's touting me. Well, it's like, well, Rich can't be here, so I, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't always enjoy doing that. That's why one of the uh, things we'll often do is do a rerun. But I, we don't always want to do reruns if we can avoid it. And so I appreciate your patience with me tonight. Um, hopefully we will be back next week. Now, I, I do want to give you a little bit of a tease of what we had in mind for next for what was supposed to be this week's program. Uh, we... If, if you've been paying attention to what's going on with these constant discussions about COVID and shots and vaccines and masks and mandates, um, 
one of the things that you might be seeing within the Christian community is how we're dealing with it as individuals. And I experienced something, and I'll briefly explain it, where I, I have been very vocal. I've said, I don't like these things. I think they're wrong. They're mandate. We should not be mandated in these things. And then it hit my table. It came to my job, and it says, you will go through these testings. I anticipate the vaccine will probably be the next thing. But I had to face a consideration, and that was... I could stand up and say, this is all wrong and I'm not going to do this. And I, I I was saying that that's where I stood. I was ready to walk away from my job. And then the Lord opened my eyes to something. And that is, I have a family to care for. I have a family to provide for. And um, it kept coming back to this passage. And I'm going to have to look it up real quick. But it came back to this passage about, you know, if you don't care for your family, there's, you know, the Lord says something about you that you are, um, that you are, well, it's basically, you're not one of his, uh, you know, he says in, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah. First Timothy five, eight, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And that kicked me in the gut. And so I realized that I had a choice. I could I could find a way to try and fight it, but really there was nobody fighting this level of uh, mandates. And, and in fact, we had been told by certain persons who represent our, uh, our field that, no, they're not going to fight that because every fight is lost. Um, or, or I could walk away, but if I walked away, it was going to financially impact my family. Or I could trust in the sovereign control of the Lord, and I could submit... Uh, trusting in his in his will and his purposes, and that was the choice that I was going to make. I, I I absolutely hate it. I I said something about it, and the result was interesting. The result was a lot of people, some of which who were very supportive of and understanding the of the struggle, but some of which who had certain demands upon me that said I had to do it their way. And we'll talk more about that next week. But I want to talk about this idea of the binding of our consciences. When we as Christians debate these issues and we're talking about where we should stand on issues of liberty, on issues of mandates, on issues of things that aren't necessarily sinful issues, though there could be sin involved, there can be issues of pride and, and idolatry involved, but if they're not specifically sins, but they are important and we need to make decisions about them, can we bind another person's conscience? And I, we have an answer to that, I think. So we're going to try and talk about that next week, God willing. Um, we'll see how things go over the course of the next week. Who knows? Uh, everything could erupt and an entirely more important topic may come up. So that's kind of your official radio tease. Hopefully, hopefully that will work out and we'll be able to do that. So uh, please be in prayer for Rich and his family. And they're okay, believe me. They're okay. It's not. It's not like us. You know. Uh, you know. The the worst of all situations has has come in. But as you know, Rich himself faces health issues, and other members of his family also have health issues. And so sometimes those things come up. And so if you would just keep them in your prayers, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being with me this week. Thank you for your patience, and uh, we look forward to spending time with you next time. God bless you guys. Good night. And whatever you do for the Lord, or whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. God bless you. Good night. Mm -hmm.